Welcome to A Pint with Shawnee B coming to you on a nice summer's afternoon outside the Duke of Sussex pub in South East Central London. Graham Wood is with me today. Graham hello. And, hello, Graham. Welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you. Graham and I go back probably a decade. We met more. in more. We yeah. met in New York in about 2007, um, where we were both working at JWT. Both slightly lost souls, but with good bosses who knew that we were, Definitely. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rosemary Ryan and Ty Montague. Ty was a previous guest on this podcast. I haven't seen Graham in three years because both of our lives kind of went off in different directions. We've always kept in touch. And we're now here today to get Graham's view on everything. <laughs> you're right. So do you like to be called an art director or designer or what? Because you do everything. don't really care. But what would, it, what would someone just starting to listen want to think of you as? Commercial artist. He's a commercial artist, folks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, do like that, no, I do like that phrase. It's an old phrase. And it does hark back a bit to when, you know, the idea of things, visual things being made for brands, which weren't even called brands then, were made by people like Man Ray and Cassandra and Casso even, I think, and even up into the 60s, Warhol, and still, I mean, you know, various artists still do that stuff and get asked to do something for somebody and make their own work, put a logo on it. I once got told a great story by an old guy called Abraham Games who did a lot of war propaganda posters, and I think he might have been the person who invented the toucan for Guinness-ish. It's either him or maybe someone else, but anyway, the story was that he painted the toucan sometime in the 20s, 30s, took it to one beer place, they went no, took it to another beer place, they went no, and finally ended up at Guinness. Oh, yeah, I'll stick our name on that. Yeah. Those posters were superb and still yeah, are yeah. superb. But I just like the attitude. You know, it's, fr- it's, it's freedom. Just do something and stick a logo on it and it is it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And if you do that well with a bit of passion and a bit of craft and a bit of thought, then it does tend to work. And then you do it again a bit better and then that'll work again and you keep doing it and repeat. <laughs> and that's really all you need. People say, oh, it has to be relevant. Well, I think if it's relevant to the person that makes it, it's going to be relevant to other people, just by dint of human nature. And so you're going to tap into something. Usually good things for certain people like and certain people fucking hate. And so, you know, you kind of toe that line, but that's all. But, you know, my goodness, a picture of a toucan, pint of Guinness, and the headline, my goodness, my Guinness. Yeah, yeah. They don't relate, actually. Where's the conviviality? I know, yeah. No, 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 the three things do not relate. No, no. It's like great music. You listen to some great bands. What the drums are doing and the, and the guitars doing and the bass is doing is quite different, but they gel. It gels, yeah. you know. And I kind of think the kind of notion of it being commercial art also taps into kind of a bit more of an interesting sort of cultural, for want of a better word, thing, which is still with how music is received and how literature is received and film as well. And it allows those things that are very definitely actually sort of advertising. It allows those things to actually try and rise to the level of, of what do you desire. From something you pay for <laughs> you know and that's another thing i've always felt that if you're going to do something do it to the level that someone would want to see it and go oh, i want that poster i'll pay yeah. a tenner for that they won't necessarily but they might you know obviously clients pay for things but this is i mean i mean, I mean a different thing something someone would actually want in their lives and that's not always easy or even necessarily possible but it's, it's ambition anything can be wonderful <laughs> as long as you let it be but so much is well no quite <laughs> no quite well so much lots of things aren't and you know, the Toucan poster, Guinness Club goes, well, where's the conviviality? Where's the people in the pub sharing? Well, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't have had people doing that. No, then. yeah. They might well, have had someone that, go... All of that started in France, I think. It was, the was Fran- it? Whenever you go to the old 
famous pubs oh, in France. Yeah, it's yeah. all the oh, Pernos yeah, 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 yeah. and the Michelin, the Bendum and all that kind of stuff. It was all illustrative, it was art. And well, it was also as well, there was a hell of a lot of, I mean, the early, I mean, well, there's, there's two sides, well, there's more than two sides to it. I mean, there's this, this guy called Edward Bernays who sort of invented PR kind of in the 20s and actually who was Hitler's press guy? Was it Goering? Joseph Goebbels. Goebbels. Who was Goebbels' favourite author who wrote a book called Propaganda, I think, in the late 20s. And he was the person who got doctors to recommend bacon and eggs for breakfast to help boost the farming industry yeah. as a healthy breakfast. He invented the notion of banana republics as part of a campaign to destabilise various regimes. Yeah. And there's a number of things he did. I had a wonderful uh, Sunday afternoon on my, one of my birth, the birthday I was living in New York with a friend, an old friend of mine called Jim Warrod, who's a brilliant character, who superb genius interior designer who knew everything about every single corner of New York and could tell you anything he died last September unfortunately which was very sad anyway he said come out for this brunch anyway it turned out the little diner in East Village table for three sit down Jim goes I've got a friend coming Malcolm McLaren and Malcolm McLaren then proceeds to tell me all about Edward Bernays Goebbels propaganda and how a lot of that influenced him and ended up having a wonderful afternoon in McLaren which is I digress that was a great supernatural wonderful meeting great guy but anyway so anyway so you have the two sides of it so the sort of Edward Bernays slightly darker bit conspiracy theory-ish but it's real in in a way on the other hand you have that sort of freedom of you know people were just kind of doing their own thing and trying to sell it to people in a very freeform way but they were you know they were professionals with craftsmen painters sign writers whatever you know all sorts and also as well at the same time (laughs) Due to the, especially the Second World War, but certainly the First World War, there was a lot of propaganda around that, which also boosted yeah. the visi- visibility of things like posters, slogans, things to propel people towards. Uncle Sam needs you. You know, no, well, from both ends, yeah. everything, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And so that was all going on, which I do think, alongside the more artful side of it, kind of formed, at least towards the end of the 40s, early 50s, all of those people then had to get into jobs after the war so they ended up in places that became okay well we need to sell Chocolate. eggs yeah, yeah. <laughs> or whatever <laughs> but like comedy came out of the goons and all those and they were yeah. they were kind of in, in the, uh, whatever the, the entertainment call was called but also as well you know the American artists especially the sort of post-war uh, abstract expressionists were backed by the government through various programs you know over and some apparently covert behind that, but that, that, you know, as a sort of way to boost American culture. But it, in this case, they were boosting American culture through Jackson Pollock and Franz Klein and William de Kooning and stuff. You know, the notion of the things around us that's, you know, that have to do with words and images, sounds, moving and now interactive and otherwise, all being part of something that actually built a sort of language yeah. of that rather than just being some kind of shitty. Not even an adjunct, but just like buy a ton of shit orange juice <laughs> for, for your kids. You know, and I still, I mean, I was very wary about advertising when I went to college and came out of it and started doing things. It's ethically questionable. It can, yeah, it very much can be. But I still think it can work as well as anything can work. In fact, it has on the heart and mind. You know, I think we've gone through a period of quite sort of dull, but I do think, you know, it goes in waves. Do you think there'll be a renaissance? I do, yeah. I, mean, I, I Naively, I used to think that things got better and better and better. And that's yeah, it's definitely obvious, not happening. That's obviously not yeah. the case. So now I have to cling on to something, <laughs> and I'm clinging on to the notion that it goes in waves. But, but I mean, I think you can lay an awful lot of this at the sort of holding companies that grew up yeah. in advertising, because they certainly made the businesses more profitable. 
Well, I'll tell you something. Sorry to interrupt you, Michelle, but I mean, Tomato, which is my company I had when I left college and grew with a bunch of other people and we did all sorts of different kinds of things. We had an older company. It was there just in case we ended up with a production company or a thing or a thing or a thing. You know, you just, it just, to me, it was like, it's just actually just literally nothing. And just when I sort of stepped into that world and there is, there's this kind of plethora of these things that somehow become, they become something that has a voice and a, an effect. It does still, and it did, baffle me. Because in essence, the holding company is, is nothing. It's a place to really sort of just, it's a legal construct. It's an old way to think. But I suppose, you know, it's, you know, you hope that there's pockets within it that think that start. Because look, the one thing is that there is far too much weight put on a mission statement and a big identity change and a thrust towards this. And if you do that first, you've got nothing to say, nothing to show for it. And instead, do the work. And then once you've got enough work to be proud of, then look at what that's saying, <laughs> tonally and, and personality-wise and ethically as well, if you want, whatever, and go, okay, we're doing this, because yeah. you are doing that. Yeah. Whereas if you kind of go, well, we're going to the X, Y, and Z, and we're going to do it, you know, you know what it's like. I and mean, it's like, if you want to go to Tesco's at five, you don't. Yeah. You know. But so I mean, I agree with that. you as a strategy guy, because yeah. everyone starts with me, yeah. and I disagree with that yeah. for exactly what you mm. just pointed. Mm. Because literally, the imagine brands when you actually see their mission and their what you know their brand construct and what they stand for, and then you look at their work, you go, "There's absolutely no fucking correlation between the the shit that you're putting out and what you claim to be uh, wanting to stand for." You know. Well, I I got into this because of probably probably music, and you know, you take any band that's had a life beyond a one hit wonder and you put all their stuff together covers videos the way they present themselves live whatever and, and even their music and with some of them there's a thread some of them there's none whatever the fuck you know it's whatever they do yeah. but to me that's the thing what does that body of work because it does say something and no one else is saying you can turn it into almost like a kind of cliche and like brands should work like bands yeah <laughs> starting to get into music from 9, 10 and then working in record shops and doing design at school and going into college and that was a thing I always wanted to be you know, the first thing I wanted to be was a record store designer but still that ethos you know because when you do a record sleep what even okay now when you do something online releases a video there's a show there's, a show, there's various versions of that thing and there needs to be some sense of cohesion to it at least in terms of tone if nothing else yeah. usually you start with the, cover, the album cover and then from that you bring out the singles, the cassette, the CD, everything else. Posters, gig posters, posters, advertising stuff. A lot of that stuff is what people kind of call, oh, we've got to do the, the other stuff. So that was my first experience doing this. But it still drives, I think. How you look at things. Yeah, totally. You know. I mean, I want to get back to Tomato because Tomato, right. when it came out, was, like in hindsight, way ahead of its time, in my view. Yeah. How did you, let's just go, because this is stuff I don't know about. Okay. Like where, where, where did you grow up and what was your so childhood like? I grew up in South London. Yeah, very average. I was always good at, my dad taught me to draw. Well, my dad worked at Otis Elevators. He was a foreman and then you know, a sign manager and all that sort of stuff. He trained as a carpenter and electrician. Right. And he'd been in the Navy, merchant seaman. I remember looking at his books of electrical diagrams and he could draw. Really simple, that kind of really obvious, simple stuff when you, Try and draw birds, and he just kind of did two flicks of curve, of a curve, yeah. and that's a bird. bird yeah. yeah, that sort of stuff. Right? And also, as well, I was really into Disney and superheroes. As you are, so I draw. I was drawing all of them from Marvel magazines, or you know. Actually, I remember being seriously told off at school. Teacher claimed I'd been tracing, and I—I I mean, I was copying, yeah. but I wasn't tracing. Yeah. 
Because I said to her, look, they're bigger. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, no. And so I got, you know, it was like beating around the head. No, like, you have but, a repro master yeah. in your house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, you know, and so st- and even stuff like that, you know. Anyway, really super average comprehensive school, secondary school that had been a grammar school and just changed when I joined. So it still thought it was grammar school, but wasn't at all. Very local mix of people. Did you have a happy childhood? Yeah, it was a very totally... Normal. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, normal. And brothers and sisters? Yeah, brother, younger brother, six. Right, right. Uh, six years younger. And what was your mum? What, what is my mum? Yeah, yeah, what's oh, your mum? Uh, accountant. Right. Yeah. Okay. But like a lot of that time, you know, they you know they both grew up with nothing and granddad was a miner in Durham and my mum was okay. from Edinburgh and started from nothing. And they know. believed in you and your bro getting a good education and all that. Well, they, they, they didn't stop it. They totally encouraged yeah. it. They didn't stop me from doing it. Again, my dad taught me to read the newspaper when I was, before I went to school. I mean, which... And so, you know, I just devoured books from a fairly young age. I was slightly too young to be a punk, so it was going on around me, but I didn't, didn't really impinge on me until I think I was probably 11 and bought the... Well, I was 11 I bought the 12-inch of God Save the Queen, which I had to take back straight away because my mum wouldn't have it there. Yeah. We, my, <laughs> my, my parents refused to allow me to listen to another brick in the wall. Right, OK. We don't need no education. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was, yeah. Yeah, that was a strong song at the time. Which I don't think anyone actually really realised. No, yeah. Shot straight to number one, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. Top of the Pops, massibly important. Yeah. Because you know, that was the way we got our music then, and then the radio, of course. Radio one. And yeah, yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah. Music's so central to me. I wasn't willing enough to take the leap to be in a band. It just seems a bridge too Did you far. play music? Yeah, I played guitar since I was 15, 16. I'm, no, I'm not brilliant. But yeah, no, so very average at school, just enough exams to get into college. Art college. Art college, yeah. Where did you go? I went to, well, first foundation course at Ravensbourne. When I left school, I worked in Al Price Records. And again, it's, you know, music and it was great. I really enjoyed that. And But but all the time, I had a little very A-level art portfolio. But I'd take rounds to every, I'd look in the even standard for jobs. I'd look in wherever for jobs. So on my, you know, you'd always have a day off in the week. So, because you'd work on Saturdays. Yeah. And every, I mean, literally, I, I worked in Al Price for nearly two years. Every day, I went to at least one or two interviews of all sorts of stuff from just wandering into big advertising agencies and not even knowing where I was to, you know. So, the job that I made that I was able to leave our price was a tele, I got a telesales job. Forgive me, but you're one guy. <laughs> I was rubbish. I think I was there a month at most. Right. Awful. I just would literally start, I'd start ringing friends just to make up the numbers on the phone calls. And I don't think I sold a single thing. It was, it was some weird international medical magazine took it because there was an art department and I, in my head for some reason I thought I might just Ground level end up there, yeah. in there somehow which would have been equally shit well yeah <laughs> and then from that I got a, a job in a place called Parker Baines which every time I talk to an old school print producer and I'm like oh Parker Baines doing uh, those MFI ads with all the little bits of furniture and stuff and yeah. doing, I was operating a PNT camera which is a repro thing and then doing covers for artworks. And, Did yeah. you have an idea at this time about what you wanted to do, or you just no, being I, fluid? No, 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 I knew from O-levels, 15, 16, that I wanted to work in graphic design, and I wanted to do record sleeves. So would you take an album and you'd do a, your own yeah, version? Yeah, of yeah, 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 we, yeah. Can you remember any of the ones that you, uh, that you loved? Um, well, there was, a, there was a couple of Roxy Music ones, I think, but there was also, there was one company, design company I loved, because I, I, I kind of educated myself about it as fast as I could, through Enemy as well and through Record Sleeves I Love who did that um, there was one company called Assorted Images at the time who did Duran Duran I mean they did all the big ones sort of late 70s early 80s massive inspiration of sort of beginning of college 
and they did the sleeve for one of my favourite, still one of my favourite albums, New Gold Dream by some of my yeah, yeah. great summer album and still a classic. A couple of tunes, but mostly hasn't dated. But anyway, they did a sleeve for a band called Arcadia, which was an offshoot of Duran Duran. I think it was Simon Le Bon and Nick Rhodes. And I got an interview with them, so I did my version of it to go and see them. Sweet. Which was very, yeah, I mean, they knew, they took it in great spirit. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I mean, they were very nice. I was far too young. They were obviously off to, and they just said go to college, which was at the time obviously a different time you know and I didn't get a living ground but I got the fees paid and Mensa Martins for BA and MA so yeah as I was saying I mean I've been to work a bit learned the basics of pay stuff and art working and, and how get things ready for print which was the main thing there of course you know going to college I didn't really need to do that stuff so I could go and explore in the screen printing let's press photography a little bit of film lots of stuff to do with song lyrics I started to use rhythms and musical composition to make visuals too in a freeform way so okay. you know I might make some circles for a beat and then I might make some lines for a rhythm and start to make compositions and things that way from songs I love and that got me really into typography then just building a love of typography but a lot of it was to do with sort of the real <laughs> limitations of the medium you know because you couldn't do anything then you know you were kind of very much with sticks by ways and means Money. Yeah, we were in the Cowgum days. And the yeah, yeah, yeah. So, set, yeah. But the Mac was just coming in. College was a real steeping in aesthetics. We certainly didn't touch advertising. I mean, I'll be honest, there was at the time a small advertising portal of half dozen people, which, apart from a couple of notable exceptions, mostly the people who couldn't do anything else ended up in, really. I mean, and that's how we were sort of regarded it a bit. None of us kind of ever considered that a place to end up in. So that was that. And then, okay, so so a long way around for Tomato when I was um, my third year in my BA at St Martin's this guy called John Warwick who'd 10 years older than me he worked in the, through the 80s on lots of lots of record series he's been head of head of design for A&M Records brilliant thinker brilliant organiser and so I, he did a talk so I put my hand up and said like you do when you're that age you know the things you're saying are brilliant but your work's crap how does that work right. and so he said to me look come out and have a chat about that and um, so I did I went to see him and I fell in love with him he was a really really brilliant guy and over the years introduced me to so much stuff I'd I like to think vice versa as well but that was he was then working at a place called Vivid which was doing music videos films they did a feature film called Let Him Have It which was about the last person who was executed in the UK and so he got me in for the summer between my MA my BA and my MA and basically sat me in front of a Mac in that situation and said, right, do stuff on this. So yeah, I went, okay. And uh, sort of learned on a record, did a record sleeve, which was a massively overcomplicated typography, which we loved, didn't change, nothing got changed. The band loved it, nothing got changed. What was that? Record? It was for a band called Black, basically one person. And he had a big hit in, in the 80s called Wonderful Life. So that was the first record sleeve I did, I think. Really enjoyed that. John kept giving me sort of freelance work when I started the MA, but didn't, didn't finished. So John kept going. Tomato formed. John Dirk, Simon, and I were whatever the creatives. But also as well, they were starting to work with a guy called Darren Emerson, who was a young DJ from Essex, and they were starting to start to do some sort of tunes in the in, in the vein of house music. They'd send us music, and that would inspire us to make visuals. There was a real backwards and forwards about that, and sometimes they'd use the visuals kind of deep relationship in that way. It wasn't just doing sleeves and videos and things. There was this real kind of exchange of ideas. Anyway, so that became Tomato. Between John, who had his own clients, you know, and I was the youngest then, so I was just leaving college. 
John gave me some work. And it sort of just, like I say, it was exactly what I said earlier. We did some stuff, we did some more stuff. We realised we'd stayed together after about six months. We went, there's a couple of things here, let's call it something. We did some more things. Oh yeah, yeah, so basically late 92, I got approached by Wyden and Kennedy to do some print for Nike. Lagos Delaney to do some stuff for Adidas. And with Lagos Delaney, they had a Guardian TV ad they wanted yeah. to do. And they wanted to do something typographic because there was various things going on at the time. There was sort of typography yeah. for not great, but just trying to do something more. So I did this set of TV ad for the Guardian, which was lots of words flying at the screen. And that went down very well. And then that led into doing some stuff, TV stuff for Nike, which was very typographic, typography yeah. over live action. Yeah. Bloody darn graphics, and that that propelled everything else. Really, I mean, obviously the other guys were doing stuff. I'm talking about myself. Yeah. You know, meanwhile, other things were going. But it was on. a very loose collective. At first, and then it screwed you together. You drifted into what you were good. We very much. Well, I went to college with a bunch of people that I thought I'd end up forming a company with, which didn't happen for various reasons. So I ended up in a place where it was like a bit dubious about John's work. Working for a summer, meeting these people I didn't know, getting on, finding at least. A common ground of thought, if not necessarily conceptual approach yeah. or aesthetics, and being able to get on with that. I think one of the keys to it was we didn't need to love each other's work. We didn't have a veto and we didn't have an approval. It was just, if you're into that, well, let's just go and yeah. see. I mean, I, I do think probably the strongest, apart from hoping to do things that were interesting, I think the strongest ethos is we didn't ever want to prevent anyone else from doing what they wanted, unless it would harm, harm was harmful. <laughs> but, but which happened a couple of times, you know. Uh, but again, that's sort of how you worked with agencies then, in a way. I mean, yeah, that's why I think it was ahead of its time because it was doing stuff that was outside the remit of the standard agency. Well, we never said no on the basis that we've not done it before. You know, someone would come and go, "Can you do branding for a massive agency?" And we go, "Yeah." Okay. How do you do? We work it out. We said no to things on principle a few times, but not very often. We were very ambitious in terms of what we wanted to achieve visually, conceptually. We weren't necessarily ambitious in terms of wanting to try and get Nike as a client or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, working with those brands and all that sort of stuff, great, but we weren't trying to pinch them off people or get them as a thing. Which, which has, and how did the tomato end? Well, it's still going. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, For it's, you, I mean. Well, I wanted, I mean, I wanted to move to New York. I spent a lot of time backwards and forwards from there over, you know, the 90s. Really loved the place. No, I mean, going from Samantha to Jones, it wasn't actually a massive shift, but I'm still doing my thing. And I, and I had enough people there that it was like, okay, that's the crew. But one thing that did baffle me is when people who are supposed to be your partner or your working partner at least uh, wouldn't get into it. No. You know, I mean, okay, you know, they can say, well, let's not do that, let's do this. You know, yeah. okay, whatever, you know, that's cool. And we'll yeah. sort of find a way. Because like I say, Tomato's ethos among a couple of others, was never to prevent anyone from, if they really wanted to do a thing, yeah. okay, you do it. I mean, the systems that are put in place that are quite rightly designed to make the place as profitable as possible, but are, yeah. are stifling creativity and magic. Well, magic is a good word, because yeah. I, like, you know, I like that word a lot. You know, I do believe in, the, and not in, you know, accident, mistake, misunderstandings, coincidence, chance making things. I mean, I've experienced it enough myself, you know, not some kind of supernatural thing, but just literally, you know, you just do something and suddenly everyone's really into the idea of doing something black and white and that's what you've done and it's like, oh, here it goes, you know. Yeah, yeah. Many, many times, conjunctions, experiences, crossovers, are just a natural course of being open and get, getting that sense of not being, um, what's the word, um, there is a word for it, 
unconditioned, no getting out of conditioning. Right. You know, just all those things, you know, you go into a meeting, you sit down, you open your notebook, say this, you say that. Yeah. Just all that's conditioning, you know, that kind yeah. of conditioning to sort of, norm, sort of norms. You know, I'm not, sort of, I'm not talking about sort of stripping naked and painting sort of yeah, orange yeah. and dancing on the table, but by the same, you know, you can just talk. Doing it differently. And I do think the best things that come out of me when I actually don't know where something's going to go, even to the point where you think it's shit and you kind of just have to salvage it or go with it or work with it, those things have always resulted in sort of something a bit special. A lot to be said for having as simple a thing as a messy space. Yeah. You know, having a sort of bit of access to some, even some paints and some, I'm talking really basic stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because I know it happens, you know, a place where you can get some people together, do things, even if it's an hour or two yeah. hours or a day. And it also sort of have, uh, you know, people not feel tied to a desk as yeah. well, to be able to just, but as long as you bring back, you know, you show something, you kind of bring something positive yeah. back, you kind of, you know, even if it just kind of feeds into something that changes completely, but it's there and it's, it's very difficult to ruin a thing. Yeah. <laughs> this does go back to those systems and processes that sort of commodify and homogenize stuff to the point where it becomes almost just a set of ticking boxes to get to some kind of solution to a problem. And I don't necessarily think everything's a problem and I don't necessarily think everything's a solution. You know, solutions, mathematics, is two plus two equals four, that's it. But that's not, you know, there is a commerciality to do with it, but there is also art. That's why I like commercial art as a, as a word for, or a, a phrase for this thing, because, you know, as much as there's a commercial, there is also the art. It's so important. And to, you, to use the language of art, to use the ways and means of art, to get things done. Art school is a great model for getting things done, just allowing people to sort of work to brief, to think things through, to make things, to get together, to show each other and talk about what they're doing and compare and contrast, see what's good. All that stuff, it's, it's been since the Bauhaus, since William Morris, it's been the way and it's it's just there. It's, you don't need to, to recreate How that. are you on things like Banksy and Emin and all those guys who emerged? Because they emerged around the time you were well, as a whole, brilliant. I mean, yeah. it's just a great, in a way, I mean, individually, it's different. I mean, I have yeah. my likes and dislikes. Yeah. But as a whole thing, that, that fertility, that absolute diversity uh, of thinking and making and doing, which I think diversity of thought is the crux. You know, someone was talking about something I read in an article, I don't know where it was, about how creative industries need astronauts to come in and think wildly. And I was like, well, yeah, but they won't employ them. But they might, you know, it's still might. But just that kind of headspace where you kind of, can bring any approach to anything. One of the things I found at college that saved me from ever being chucked out was not necessarily quality, quantity. <laughs> so what's the word for you know uh, being being prolific? Yeah. Trying to be prolific with things. Yeah. Trying. I'm not talking about doing versions, but just kind of hundred boxes. Working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. Well, yeah, that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean that. That wasn't being version. That was sort of a bit versiony. But there was also the experience of doing that yeah. meant something. Sean and I would do a workshop thing which we called Jam. Jam. And, and, and part of that involved people filling in a hundred boxes of a hundred ideas in an hour or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but that's kind of an art school way to work, you know. See, that workshop approach that we had, you might get dirty in a workshop. Yeah, yeah. You know, you might... You well, know. We always picked grungy bars that were like, you know... You got, well, yeah. You know, yeah. Then yeah. they were cheap. The days that we did them in Soho House when everyone was watching us... Well, that was tricky. You had, yeah, 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 you had yeah, less yeah. magic or less... You know, I, mean, I don't know if... I still don't think it's the right word, but I'll say art. Oh, but I, I believe in creativity a million percent. I still do. I will never not because I've got nothing else. And <laughs> I'm, I'm encouraged that you think there'll be a renaissance. I do think there'll be a renaissance because um, there's enough people who've been in this, whatever variety of this thing we do is, who are older, who want to do it mm. still. There's enough people coming through of perhaps not necessarily 
the generation between us and whatever we're going to call the generation that are now yeah. 16, 18. But I think that generation are absolutely raring for it in lots of ways that kind of hark a bit back to punk and a bit back to other things, yeah. but it's kind of new again because it's coming through different ways and means of working. What but about away from, uh, you know, your design and that life? You're quite a deep guy. I mean, you're quite happy to sit on your own and think about things. And yes. But how do you see the world? We talked oh. a little bit about what's going on over in America, where we both spent quite a lot of time and here. Are you pessimistic or optimistic? Or? I'm sort of neither, because there's a broadcaster on LBC called James O'Brien, who I kind of like. And he's, one of his things which kind of made something illuminating for me was politically he has no home at the moment because obviously you know, I mean not obviously but he's definitely not a conservative and neither would I be but meanwhile as much as one would sort of gravitate towards Labour I find that slightly tricky so homeless certainly politically I have a very big feeling for art in our lives yeah. as being certainly a way to help mitigate some of the problems I mean there's the pinker approach to life which is and I, I really agree with this. I went to the Museum of London. Right. What it brings home to you is the Pinker approach to life, which is there's never been a better time to be alive. Well, there is no, there is that. I mean, it's tr that's true. Mm. I mean, it has to be true. There is also some, and there's another theory about like that. Like there were no good old days, you know? No, We but, think there were, but there weren't. No, no, no. I, well, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, 100%. But still, we have famine and yeah. poverty and stuff, and we're not fixing it. Yeah. And we could. But anyway, but, but but the fact that we could is is better than before. Well, no, and we are fixing it. Yes, no, no, but, but, but yeah. maybe not as fast as we could. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, um, but there is another theory about that, which is, and I don't know, I, I'm probably not going to get it right at all, or even I might get close, which is to do with yes, this is probably never lived at a better time, but actually that's the most dangerous time. Yeah. Because so much complacency comes in. Kind, maybe I'm not sure if it's even about that. It's about well, the, the Chinese. Was it, it was it was a, an insult or a curse? May you live in interesting times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and we are. Yeah, we definitely. Certainly, are. if you want to sort of step back and be cool and academic about it, we are yeah. fucking, we're certainly living in interesting times. I mean, do you think do you, know, do you have any truck with some of the conspiracies that are going on about why that is? And no, I don't. The rise of populism and there's a slight correlation to do with conspiracy theories in themselves being a thing that helped stuff like Nazism happen in the early part of the 20th century and conspiracy theories are again swirling in the ether and not even just in the ether but in the media that actually is a key to uh, I think a deeper concern because yeah. you know we, we have seen this happen before and human beings are quite bad at learning from the past I read a book called the Victor Klemper Diaries it's a guy who kept a Jewish guy who kept a diary I think from 28 until 47 maybe even later and it was found and published the whole thing and I think I think I remember the first thing he notices a pack of toothpaste one day there's a strange little black sort of square with a bit knocked off symbol yeah swastika it's oh and that's how did that get there yeah yeah kind oh, of yeah yeah and that was at least that's the first point at which you go oh yeah yeah do you read into especially the history of the early part of the 30s in Germany, they were journalists, really fighting yeah, it. Canaries in the mine, yeah. Yeah, they really were, yeah. and they were, and even down to when they had to even have their own press to put out pamphlets when it was getting really bad, yeah. and they ended up dying, you know, or running away. You kind of go, okay. One thing I feel fairly strongly about is know the enemy, 
I think a lot of people aren't doing that. They dismiss it. They're either dismissing it or they're trying to be kind of like, no, let's try and deal with it, let's try and work with it, we'll see where it goes, we'll kind of find a way. And I don't think we're at that point. I think we need to really recognise the enemy, engage as little as possible and act, whatever that means. I'm not talking about obviously violence, but a strong... This is why I find Labour frustrating, because there isn't a strong opposition. There isn't someone standing up and going, this, this and this. You well, know, the decline of the ability to put you know, a team of four journalists on a project that's going to take eight months to work out what the hell is going on. They well, just don't have the money to do that. Well, there are journalists doing it, but unfortunately the thing is now that the perpetrators won't talk to them. You know, they're just ignoring it. Not somewhere else. They won't engage. They only engage with people who will agree with them. And there seems to be more of that now than I've ever noticed yeah, before, yeah. I think. How do you feel on technology? Are you concerned about robot overlords, etc.? <laughs> I wouldn't mind being augmented thoroughly, <laughs> actually. Wings and a extra, yeah. extra arms and all sorts. I know yeah. I'm kind of odd about that. I'm quite just uh, the idea of kind of getting to a point where we can actually just completely look at as long as our minds so in a, in a, in a, a utopia, utopia is bad, but in a kind of slightly utopian idealistic, utopia. idealistic way. Yeah. You know the idea that technology can get to the point where we can look after ourselves, cure ourselves. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily think longe- longevity is a great. I don't think we're made for longevity. I don't yeah. think that's a good idea. But um, certainly, fixing any kind of, especially very, very kind of structural, physical bone ailments, yeah, yeah. all that sort of stuff, and then hopefully as well illnesses too. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. The checks and balances side, though, is what concerns me. Well, the thing that we're seeing this goes back to my art thing. The things. The thing that bothers me most about technology is we are now... One of the things that really blew my mind about the Mac when I first tested it was very simple. I'd been used to doing artwork, drawing a circle with a roaching pen, going wrong, splatting, having to cut that out with a knife, having to fix it, trying to still get the perfect circle. Mac, open up a Mac, open up Illustrator, drag and drop, you've got a perfect circle ready to print. So that roaching circle, even if that was great, five, ten minutes that max circle second so suddenly time was yeah you could it's like whoa what can we do with time and i still feel that and i still find that and i think that does influence my work a lot because i do use it i use time really i think really well other people would have to tell you that or not but because i experienced it there but i think people who are growing up with it don't get that and there's a little bit of a qualifier to this as well but i don't think they get that and they don't they don't really realize what it affords them, the possibilities it affords them. There are two qualifiers actually. There's one positive one, which is absolutely there are millions of people, lots of people who have now got the means of production in their hand. It's almost yeah. Marxist. You know, you can make music. And all the information in the yeah, world. And yeah, and all the information. You can make music, you can, you can write your book, you can, but you've still got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and so the other, the other qualifier would be is that I still don't think, I mean, okay, I've been doing this 25 years, it's not long, but in any given amount of people you see with work and stuff, it's still one in ten that are great, and then yeah. less than that are brilliant. And, you know, well, I, then, find, I find that this, like, I mean, that that this is America video that came out a few months ago. You may have seen it with uh, Donald. Glover. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, when I when I saw that, I went, "Well, I fucking love, wish I'd done that. Amazing." Yeah. And I just don't see. Maybe it's because it's just hard to find in the morass. I don't yeah. see 
as much stuff like that that just really gets me or hits me and I go oh fuck yes there's still they're all there's things. still something kicking in there There, I know there are things but there, there, I seem to remember a time when every month there'd be something or there'd be, you know there'd be a I don't know whether it's well one of those things that's one of the things that's actually kind of um, truncated that a little bit is music videos are really not happening much yeah. now and they, you know, they're, music's I mean, not happening much. Today, well, music yeah. is well. There you go. Back to the yeah. kind of common theme. You used to. Well, you did. You've always had to dig deep, but it's certainly there was a point at which the stuff that got dug deep actually came out. Whereas now it's kind of a little bit back to late seventies, early early eighties, where yeah. you had to find things to jump in and stuff. Yeah. But that's kind of, I mean, it's it's around. Um, definitely around. Perversely, we're in an environment though where everything should be easier to distribute and easier to find easier to get out there maybe it's a human trait that we just like to discover things and yeah. sometimes you kind of just want things to be hidden and you'll discover them for yourself I mean my kids are like that and, yeah. and they are discovering stuff that it's like whoa where did that come from you know and I just have never come across it and I'm not just talking about stuff that's popular it's like you know deep knowledge what would you say to your younger self you had to go back and drop a sentence on uh Uh, I don't know. I'm quite. I'm not. You know. I'm. I don't wish to have lived another life. Right. No, no. I know what you're saying. I mean, it's a good question. You know. Um, Do you think your younger self would be grand if your younger self was able to see you now? Partly. <laughs> partly. Um, be better with money, probably. But that's a bit of a, of a layer, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm. You know, okay. I'm in a situation to say that there are millions of people in the world who can't say that. Yeah. So, but what's something deeper than that? There must, there must be something. Oh no, I think it's that Quentin Christmas thing of be yourself and be like mad. Don't go into situations and sort of kind of count out a bit or just yeah. let things go. I mean, again, don't be an arsehole about it, but be you know be who you are and be. I mean, it's, it's, you know, as I say, it's a Quentin Christmas quote, but and, you know, I still think that rings true. You know, sounds a bit like the kind of meme, a meme that goes around, yeah. but. I think it's better than that, because that it doesn't sort of tell you to be good or bad or, or whatever or love or not or hate. It just says you know what be what be you are. Hold your integrity. Yeah, yeah, and I also think you know kind of you know sort of alongside kind of observing the golden rule, which is you know treat others as you would be treated yourself if you can, as long as you can, you're in a position to. Then those two things go to hand in hand, which sounds a bit hippish, but I think I probably am a bit of heavy, which is why I'm going to be more like that anyway. You know, I mean. You know, as I get older, I get more into that kind of reading about paganism or, you know, getting into sort of stuff like Robert Graves' White Goddess about, you know, bardic knowledge yeah. and all that kind of thing. And yeah, I love it. You Turning know. into a druid. A design druid. <laughs> design <laughs> druid, <laughs> Graham Wood. Thank you for joining me in a pipe with Shawnee B. Keep creating, keep being yourself. And let's not make it as long between drinks. No. Definitely not. Mind yourself. May the road rise with you. Can I re-unbolt that?